This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's time once again for Catalog and Cocktails presented by Data.World. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, product guy, customer guy at Data.World, joined by Juan Cicada. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at Data.World. And as always, it's middle of the week, end of the day, and it is time to take a break to have a drink and chat about data. But I think lately we've been getting more about data and talking a lot about AI. I think that's the topic of today. And I am incredibly, incredibly excited with our guest, which is Professor Dr. Ricardo Baeza Yates. He's the director of research at the Institute for Experiential AI at Northeastern University. He's a former CTO of Intent, the former VP of research of Yahoo Labs. He is an expert on information retrieval. He literally wrote the book on modern information retrieval, uh, web research on AI, and obviously on responsible AI. And it, this is, if we want to talk about responsible AI, this is the person we should be talking to. Ricardo, it is a true honor to have you. How are you doing? Thank you. Salud. Salud. Cheers. 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 We're excited for this talk today. Thank you for inviting me. So let's kick it off. What are we drinking and what are we toasting for today? I wish. Should toast for more responsibility because there's too little in the world. We're, we're, by the way, we're here this week at the web conference, which we're hosting here in Austin at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, so I'm actually having, um, uh, I think, like a tea and yeah, some iced tea sour. That's yeah, pretty I'm, interesting. I'm having a margarita because they didn't have piña colada or pisco sour. Uh, how about you, Tim? What are nice. you having? I'm having a, an old-fashioned, but uh, so a, a familiar drink, but from a, an unfamiliar place. I'm at the Kalahari Resorts in Round Rock, Texas. We're kind of all uh, close by, close by. All right, but in, in nearby Bots- in Botswana, right? <laughs> I wish, but no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's warm up. Our warm-up question today is: So, if if you are packing for a trip, what's something in your bag folks wouldn't expect? I think that maybe two things. Can I say two? Yeah. First, uh, um, a, a real camera, not an f- iPhone. Okay. So, so I like to take photos with um, a good zoom and and a good macro and so on. And maybe I will have a, a map, a real map, a paper map. I love maps because maps shows a lot of information in 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 a very small space. So, okay, the the map thing that that's surprising. Have a real paper map. Well, I'm a geography geek, so maps are in my heart. <laughs> and also, we are losing we are losing the ability to to find places, so we should practice. That's a good point. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, we're too How much many on our people phones. cannot find the place without their GPS? Yeah. too many. We're pretty dependent these days, huh? You don't even know where North is anymore. Right? Look at our phone and move it this way. <laughs> my, my my kids, they like to see the compass on the on the uh, mirror, and they always say, "Why does it say SWA? Why does it say SWA?" It's like, that's Southwest. It's a cardinal direction. What is a cardinal direction? (laughs) Tim, what about you? Uh, You know what? Uh, Probably uh, the podcasting equipment is always something that people don't expect. I think Juan and I both have that going on. This this microphone that you see right here, um, I have that with me every time I travel because somewhere else we're we're and I we need it for for sound. So it's a big one. Yeah, it's, I've got used. To, I, I got day trips on a, just with the backpack, and that thing is with me when we travel. So, all right, well, let's kick it off. So, honest, no BS. Well, okay. First of all, AI is everywhere. 
Uh, last week I was at the TED conference and people were just excited about it, but at the same time were concerned about it. This week we saw Jeffrey Hinton quit Google, right? Because he can more freely speak about the dangers of AI. And then we're always hearing so much about responsible AI. And honestly, it's, it's like kind of a, a big word that people are throwing around and like, what does it actually mean? So honest, no PS, what the heck do we mean by responsible AI? Yeah, responsible AI is, I guess, for me, the best version of, of other variants of uh, AI that people use like uh, ethical AI, but ethics is something very human, so I pref we prefer not to humanize AI, so we shouldn't use ethical AI. Some people also talk about trustworthy AI, and the problem is that we know that doesn't work all the time, so it's kind of not ethical to ask people to trust it if it doesn't work all the time, and also puts the burden on the user, not on the builder, and that's why responsible AI is much better. So you, the builder, the seller of the product, or whoever is uh, basically distributing this are responsible, and then you will be accountable for whatever damage you do. This is, a, this is really interesting. So we started about responsible AI, but you throw out the word ethical AI and then trusted AI. So, so people don't use it. So, okay, this is a honest no BS right there. So don't use the word ethical AI, because. Yes. but let's get very specific. So ethical AI is a no-no because because ethics is a human trait, and then you cannot apply a human trait to, uh, say, algorithms or robots, if you want to, to say. And, and, then, no, and trusted AI is also a no-no because? Because uh, you're asking people to trust something that doesn't work all the time. And I have a really good example. Let's say you go to a building and the, the, the elevator says, works 99% of the time. So very good accuracy, 99%. Will you take the elevator? Tim, will you take no. it? Now, the elevator says... I'm not going to take the chance. <laughs> because you know it's not safe. So if the elevator says doesn't work 1% of the time, but when doesn't work, it stops, I know I'm safe, so I take it. But also, also it's, it's misleading because, for example, let's say 100 years ago comes a guy say, I have this new transportation medium that's called aviation. The company is called Trustworthy Aviation. I want to sell you a ticket. I will say, if, if you need to put trustworthy on front of it, there's something wrong. <laughs> so, so I think also it's misleading, and, and you are putting the burden on the user. So we don't want to do that. Oh, uh, th th this is a great point. This is like, uh, I, I was having a discussion a while ago about like, oh, we should have, uh, like, talk about more quality of data. We have, our data should be high quality. It's like, of course it should be high quality. It's like saying, oh, uh, come to our hotel. We have clean sheets and clean towels. Like exactly. th those are things that you do not promote because it's like a given. This is a, like redundant. It's a quality of data. I mean, if, if it's not, there's no quality, it's not data, it's garbage. <laughs> so, so Yeah, I love that. When you start, when you start to use adjectives that, that basically are included, another example is that people say machine learning and, or for them, they say AI and machine learning, but machine learning is part of AI. It's like an, an next time I, I talk about eggs, I say, oh, the egg and the yolk. It's redundant, right? But we do so many of the things, so we need to use semantics well. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I used to, um, you know, coming into this conversation, I, I've had a very positive feeling and connotation around the phrase ethical AI. Um, but as you talk about ethical AI versus responsible AI, I think actually live here on this conversation, I'm having a bit of an aha moment about that. Um, that um, so, and I'm curious if uh, Ricardo, you agree with this. So, if we want our AI to demonstrate more ethical traits, so what we consider as humans to be ethical traits, 
then actually that connects to responsible AI, that we as the, as the people building the AIs are responsible for ensuring that the AI is demonstrating those traits which we consider to be ethical. Is that kind of the way that you think about it? Yes, uh, there are many things that are human, like justice, also uh, responsibility is human. But because, uh, at least in the legal world, responsibility also has been granted to institutions, we are using responsibility in the AI in the sense that the institution behind whatever is using AI is the one responsible, in that sense. We're not saying that, that uh, again, that the AI is human. It, it is not. But um, even some things like trust, uh, they are like even binary. For example, would you say I trust this person 50%? Usually you trust or you don't trust. So it's, it's also not a real variable. Like, and, and well, sometimes computer scientists, oh, we can measure trust. But for people, it's almost like I trust or I don't trust. In between, it's like it's strange. We'll, even if it's half, maybe it's the same as no trust. <laughs> and these are the human parts that are not uh, quantitative or qualitative. So we, we, we started off with responsible AI, and I really love how we got very specific on definitions of responsible yeah. ethics and trust. What is then irresponsible AI? Let's go, let's talk about like, what are the, the, the problems that let us think about, oh, wow, we're doing this wrong. Yeah, I can, I can <laughs> talk hours about responsible AI because there are so many examples. <coughs> uh, so I will only mention a few, but if you want to know more examples, there's an excellent place called inc uh, incidentdatabase.ai where there are more than 2,000 examples of cases that went wrong. And these are the only the ones that we know. I'm sure that there are 10 times or 100 times more of the ones that we don't know, right? That are secret or, or, or basically private. So let me give you the, the, a few classes of irresponsibility. I think the first one and the most common will be discrimination. And discrimination is uh, related to bias. For example, gender bias, race bias, uh, xenophobia, homophobia, another thing that, that basically, uh, typically is against a minority or, or some group of vulnerable people. And here we have so many, many uh, examples, but maybe the worst one in the, in the political sense is what happened, what it started in 2012 in Netherlands, where some engineer, I guess, had the great idea of looking for fraud in the tax in the, like the equivalent to the IRS, so in the tax office, looking for fraud in uh, child benefits. So basically a benefit to, to send um, your, uh, let's say less than four year old to, to a pre-kindergarten school so, so you can work in the meantime, right? Uh, so they decided, okay, let's look for fraud in those kind of benefits. That's the first problem because um, it's not ethical to look for fraud in poor people. You should start with rich people. And this is a typical case of, uh, of a tax office. Let's, let's look at the rich people, how they're they are, uh, basically not paying tax. And I'm sure they also the amount that you can find is much larger than with poor people, right? So it even also makes sense from the business point of view. So what happened with this system was called Siri, but we said why, not, not exactly like the, the Apple uh, uh, agent basically accused about 26,000 families that they had cheated the system and they had to return a lot of money because it was not the money for one year or sometimes it was the money for five years and these are people that basically needed this this support and had to return it. so some people lost their houses some people had to go back to their uh, place of origin there were many immigrants it was not 
it's not known if it's how much AI was there. Maybe it was not even AI, but doesn't matter. It's a software, and software should be uh, uh, responsible of the result. Well, because of all the problems, the civil society basically went to court against the government. The government, whatever the government at that time, but basically to the state of Netherlands. And after a long, uh, basically, legal battle, in 2020, finally, the Supreme Court, because they went all the way, the Supreme Court of Netherlands said that was illegal, that action, and that they had to return all the money that they requested, and basically they were forbidden to do it. At that point, the former minister that basically was in charge of the tax office was a parliament member, and she resigned. She said, I'm responsible. I'm sure no one asked her if, if they, they could do this. It's a problem. So sometimes people don't ask if they can do something, and they do it even if they don't have the permission. And basically, she resigned. So I'm, I'm, I'm responsible. So she was an example of responsibility. I'm responsible. I resign. I lose my parliament membership. But for the opposition of the government, well, that was not enough. And they keep pushing. And in January 15, 2021, the whole government of Netherlands resigned. And this has been the, the largest, maybe, political impact of a badly designed software in the world. So this is the best example of discrimination because maybe affected like 100,000 people. If you take 26,000 families that have typically two kids, these are like 100,000 people. And at the end, cost the whole government to, to, to resign. And this is a Western country. So it's not like a, you can say, okay, this is not a solid government. This is a, a government that has a monarchy behind and so on. So this is my example of discrimination. This is the first class. Let me go to the second class, which is all the other classes may be not well known, but they are, they are also scary. The one I will call it like the new version of phrenology. So do you know what is phrenology, Tim? No, I don't think so. Okay, so this has to do with, with the physiognomy. You know, physiognomy is this, uh, this idea that had the Greeks that basically if I look at um, one face, I can basically predict his personality. Phrenology is one step forward. Was like a, was a German guy at the end of the 18th century that said that criminals had different convolutions inside the brain. But this is very hard to prove because you have to open the skulls and look at the brain and so on. But for example, in the 19th century, this was very popular. And for example, one example I use in my talks, you can find my talk in, in, in the web, is um, the uh, Italian doctor, Cesare Lombroso from Torino, that, that said, no, this is more simple. Criminals have a different skull. They, they have a different uh, part of the skull that has a, a, a difference. Well, he collected hundreds of skulls from the morgue, basically people that, that were so poor that no, no one recovered their, their body. Uh, and you can go to the, his house museum in Torino. But hundreds of skulls and could never prove that because you, we know it's not true. I mean, criminality has nothing to do with, with the shape of, of your bones. But then this has been used today in the same way. For example, there are people that using your face predicts criminality. It happened in China in 2017, and it happened again in, in, in the US, almost published in Nature in 2020. Luckily, people stop those things because it's, it's just pseudoscience. So this is pseudoscience. This is not true that you can infer personality from this. 
But you have people like, uh, like uh, for example, famous psychologist Stanford Kosinski that is using this kind of biometrics to predict, uh, for example, if your sexual orientation, and this was uh, like a scandal in 2018, yeah, or, or your political orientation this happened in 2021 basically um, basically it works because you capture a kind of correlations that, that are nothing to do with your face for example correlations with your bare beard or or if you use uh, long hair and so on or even the type people of, who wear hats or whatever it is right yeah yeah exactly and it says yeah make america great again yes you can infer those things but basically it's, it's just a spurious correlations and, and, and the accuracy was only 70%. So you cannot say that 70% is something that is good. It's just stereotypes. Okay, third class. The third class, I think, is, uh, I will say that, that it's one very natural, is uh, basically human incompetence. So, so basically, persons doing wrong things and causing problems. The best example, maybe, is from Facebook a couple of years ago. One engineer decided to use a hate speech classifier trained in, on English in France. So the, the classifier decided that the town of Bitche was forbidden. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they had to fight three weeks to get their Facebook page back because no one also was uh, in the loop <laughs> to, to listen to their complaints. And this, this sounds very funny, but the, if you think that, that maybe the town was using that channel to say, for example, things about COVID, that hurts people. So, so it's, it's funny, but that hurts people. And this was just pure incompetence. Um, here I use a, a very well-known um, quote. Now, now I don't remember the famous statistician uh, that said, all morals are wrong, but some are useful. We can say the same today about AI. All morals are wrong, but some are useful because they work almost all the time and that's okay. But basically they are like uh, simplifications of, of the world. For example, data, data will never represent the whole context of a problem. Data is a proxy for reality. Some data you will never, you will never have it, like all the data from the future. For example, um, when Uber killed a woman in Arizona in 2018, uh, uh, I'm sure that they didn't have that in the training data. A woman crossing at night in a bicycle in the wrong place. Yeah, uh, and you can imagine all possible things that can happen in, in a road, not only in the US, let's say in India, in the future. So, uh, well, after that, Uber decided not to, to experiment any longer with uh, self-driving cars and they sold their unit. So, so that also had a business impact after that accident. That was maybe the first recorded a dead person from, from AI. Okay. Let me go to the two last classes. The one is very simple. I, I, it will be like um, the, the impact on, on the environment. So all these things use a lot of energy, <coughs> a lot of electricity. Uh, the carbon, uh, basically carbon trail is huge. Uh, and now with all these large language models, generative AI, it's getting worse because not only the training, it costs like $1 billion, but imagine when 5 billion people is using this. I mean, like uh, the OpenAI in two months had 100 million users. It's the fastest adoption uh, of a product in, in, in history. And, and I'm, I don't know who is paying the bill, maybe Microsoft. So much money in, in everyone playing with this thing because they are, they are playing. Uh, 
they are, not all of them are using this for a, a good purpose. And the last one has to do with generative AI. So, and, and it's very hard to describe what, what is the kind of problem because this is like a bad use of generative AI. And I guess the worst case happened March 28 this year. So very recently uh, in Belgium, uh, uh, in the news appeared that, that a person had committed suicide after six months talking to, to a chatbot with an avatar, not ChatGPT, another chatbot called ChatJoy, uh, and with an avatar of a woman. And basically, if you read the last conversation, it's really scary. It looked like a, a science fiction movie. In the last conversation that was logged and was found by, by his wife, uh, and also left two kids behind, I said, basically, why you haven't killed yourself? And the, the guy says, oh, well, I, I thought about it after you give me uh, uh, the first hint. And, and the chatbot asks, what hint? Oh, well, this um, uh, quote from the Bible. Oh, and then, then the chatbot says, uh, do you still want to, to meet me? And said, yes. And they said, the guy, can you give me a hug? And, and the chatbot said, yes. And that's the last conversation. And, and I guess the guy thought that by killing himself, he will be the chatbot in, in, in another life. So mental health, this is, I think, generative AI is a, is a danger to mental health and then also to, to the credibility of all digital media because in the future we will not recognize if a video is true or not. So everything we have built in the last 20 years to, to use videos and images to, to know about the world now will be gone. And then that's a real threat to democracy, not only to our mental health. So I think these are the all the all the all the examples that I, I think are important for response. I, I think especially on this last topic there, I have a lot of thoughts across all of these, which are really great examples of some of the, the harms, both real harms that are already happening as well as potential harms. Um, the generative AI one has a special sort of a topical aspect because of how both how popular it's now become recently, very, very trendy, right? Um, but also um, the fact that you can deceive, deceive at the individual level, but also deceive at the societal level, right? Um, and, and I'm just, you know, this is one that stumps me a lot about like, how do we create more of an accountability around responsibility around generative AI? Like, for example, you know, is it even viable to say, like, let's imagine, you know, a, a government body someday, right? Basically saying uh, creating false content is uh, a federal offense or something like that. You cannot do it, right? Is that even enforceable? Is that even the correct approach to something like this, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean it, one of the things we, when we started talking about responsibility, right? Responsibility, AI, you said that if you're responsible, that also means who's accountable for these things, right? Yes. So, mm -hmm. I mean, after going through all these all these points, which we'll, which we'll summarize in our takeaways, um, I'm I'm feeling like really heavy right now. Like this, you've gone through a lot of things that hopefully everybody who's listening realize that that we got to take this shit for real and we got to really think about this. This is not just about like, oh yeah, yeah, we yeah. Already, we have to be concerned and whatever. No, we, no, no. we already have dead people. We already have uh, harmed people. So it's not a potential. This is happening. Now. This is happening right now. So let, let's actually right. take this and, and and talk about like an accountability and like, what are the solutions? Like what what yeah. what are the what are the approaches that we need to consider that are being considered right now? Yeah, some, one is regulation, and, and, and I agree with Tim, that's very hard to enforce, and, and China has published the first proposal for regulation of generative AI, uh, uh, like in April 11th, so less than a month ago. All these things have happened really fast. 
But let's go, let's go in order. I, I think the first thing we need to agree is, is like in, in principles, in some uh, basically uh, operational principles. And we have values that come from ethics, and I think the three main values that, that, that are encoded in bioethics are first, autonomy, autonomy. So basically, respect to our to our decisions, our to to basically to whatever we want to do. So this is the first one. The second, uh, I guess, is justice. We want to to help people that that has less opportunities, and then we need to be just. And maybe sometimes we need some affirmative actions for that. And the third one is very generic, but it's something that all people understand: is we need to do good and not to 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 do bad. So more, I mean, if you want to do something, it should benefit more people than the people that is harmed. And also you need to, to, to have that the benefit is much more than the harm. Otherwise, there will be an issue. So these are the three things. But then you, you, you have this, this principle that are not values in, in some sense, because a lot of people, when they think about principles, they think about values. But these are more instrumental principles. So are the ones that will be help us to, to, to basically be responsible. And for me, the best ones so far are the ones that, that we published with the ACM in last October. Uh, and, and I was one of the two main authors of that. Uh, and, and I pushed there a few new principles that I thought were important. I think the main one is the first one, which would be more like principle zero, not principle one. And I call it legitimacy and competence. So basically, before you do anything, so you have a great idea for a new business using AI, or using any software, because this shouldn't be only for AI, it should be for any software. So we, this is, we call it the principles for responsible algorithmic systems. Most of them will be with AI, but any algorithmic system should follow the same principles. It's legitimacy and competence. So what it means? Legitimacy means that you have done this ethical assessment, or say human rights assessment, if we have different ethics in different cultures, to show that you are, the benefit is more than the burden or the harm in some people. So basically, you you prove that really this, this should exist. That's why it's illegitimate. And then we need the competence. And the competence has several uh, dimensions. First, we need to have the administrative competence. So basically, we have the right to do it in, in, in whatever institution we are doing it. For example, I don't think this was the case for the Netherlands example. I think the engineer that had this great idea of looking for, for fraud in poor people never asked anyone or the minister to say, okay, can I do this? Because some some person with common sense will say, no, don't do that. <laughs> Please the, stop. And then we need to have the technical competence. So, so basically we understand how machine learning works and we can do a very good model. So we don't, we don't have human incompetence, which was other the, the problem. And finally, we need to have the competence in the domain of the problem, which means we have people that are not computer scientists that are really experts. If it's health, we have doctors. If it's legal, we have lawyers, and so on. And then, of course, we need to have ethicists to, to evaluate all these things. So this is the first principle. We have nine principles. And other important principle is basically no, no discrimination, transparency, accountability, auditability, explainability, and, and interpretability. Uh, and even the last one is basically not only with do not need to harm people. Also, basically, we have to limit the use of resources because also we are harming the planet and we are part of the planet. So these are nine principles you can find it in the ACM. And, and, and I think this is the best collection of principles that join other 
principle that the, the OECD has or UNESCO uh, or even recently uh, the White House. Uh, also in October, they published this um, blueprint for the AI Bill of Rights, although basically these are instrumental principles, five instrumental principles that's already, already a bit obsolete with this new version of the ACM, uh, because it's not a Bill of Rights for people, it's, it's basically op operational principles for software. So this is the first the first step. Principles. Principles. All right. Then when we agree with the principles, the second step is how to put them in practice. That is governance. And all people understand the principles, but they don't understand how you put this in practice. And governance imp implies a process, implies uh, actions, and implies people. For example, let's start with the, end, the last one. People have, need to be trained. So engineers need to be trained on these principles to understand how they put this in the code, how they put this in user interfaces, how they put this in data, and so on, right? For example, you can, you, I'm sure you know about, about uh, uh, standards for described data, standards for described models or model cars and, and data, what was the name, data, uh, for what? No, it's not data cars, but something like data something, and, and basically there are proposals to, to do all this. Now, actions, it means that there is a process. For example, you start with the principles one, you show that you should do it, then you enter in the development stage, and then you have to think to do things like, like for example, checking your requirements, checking your assumptions, talking to the users, talking to all the stakeholders. Uh, most of the time we don't do that and we just keep that and we keep going uh, and, and we talk with the users and stakeholders after we find trouble, but then it's too late because you cannot talk with the person that died in Arizona. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's another very good example of the wrong accountability, because when that woman died in Arizona in 2018, Uber, in less than a week, basically uh, reached a, a settlement with the family of that woman. Mm -hmm. and at the same time, and you can guess how it happened, the Arizona government knew that the backup driver that was in the car was watching a video. And then this, the Arizona government said, well, this is, I guess, public road. A person died. I cannot say it's all gone because uh, Uber already agreed with the family. They, they charge for involuntary uh, death to, to, to the driver. Well, the driver was uh, another vulnerable person. She was receiving minimal salary. She was a Mexican immigrant, a transgender. And, and, and one last year appeared a very interesting uh, interview in Wired, if you want to see it, because this was not known until several years. And basically she was found guilty because basically that was true. I mean, the, the system showed that, that she was watching a video that was all locked. But in spite that the system showed also that, that the system didn't recognize that was a bicycle in front of the car until two seconds before the impact. And you know, even if you're not watching a video in two seconds, you cannot do much if you are basically going straight. So this person was found guilty and had to be one year uh, in her home. So he was basically a, a home prison with uh, these things, these rings in the ankle, so she couldn't leave. Again, the person that was guilty then was a vulnerable person, was similar to the Netherlands example, because always. There is a rule that rich 
gain, sorry, rich people gain more money with these things and poor people suffer the consequences. So, so what, what implies governance? Implies, for example, monitor your models all the time to check if, uh, for example, the output drifts or the bias is increasing, or for example, the data is changing. You need to do all these things, and there are not too many companies working in this space, that I, but I have seen a few startups that are interested in basically checking that everything is going well after you do the right evaluation. For example, also evaluation is very important, validation of all your assumptions and evaluating the system thoroughly. For example, this is a model drift and things like that, right? Yes, yeah, model drift, data drift, and so on. But imagine today, I think uh, we are doing the alpha testing of ChatGPT. We are finding the problem because it's, yeah. too, it's too, so hard to test because it's open domain, right? So it's impossible to test uh, in reality. So so we have a, a shift. We need to think a shift, a paradigm shift on how we test these things. Then we need to, then their transparency is so important. But transparency alone is not enough because you can, many governments are very transparent. They say we will do this and no one can do anything. So, so transparency has to have, let's say, things like contestability and auditability. So you need to contest the system and talk to a person and then be able to audit the system uh, to see if, if the system was working correctly or not. Most of the audits today are done against the will of the companies that sell those products. And of course, those audits are much harder because you don't have all the data. You have to treat it as a black box. Uh, you need to do like a experiment and not completely, uh, not completely uh, found because you don't have access to the real system and the real data. So, so this is something that needs to change because auditability is so important because the next step is then accountability. If you do an audit and the audit shows that you, for example, are discriminating, well, you need to go to court and, and you need to be accountable and responsible. So this is the, the governance part. So basically it's the process from the, the first idea to when you fail and, and when you harm. So, and, and, and I have a diagram that I guess is, is unique because it hasn't been published yet on, on how this works. This is, a, this is a very complete picture. And I mean, even though we're applying this, to, we're talking about this in the context of AI, right? Even we see this from a, just an, an enterprise data management, like everything that you said is this, this should be able the to same. apply the same everything, for data right? Management. For the data same. management. For, and, and, and it's very explicit, right? The process, the actions, the people, like transparency, accountability. And I think a lot of the governance, let's be the honest, no BS thing. The, the, the governance thing is like, oh, uh, do I have PII and I just want to go flag it, right? Uh, can I get access to this data and somebody approves the access to this data, right? It's, it, we're just barely scratching the surface. And I, and, and I believe that we're not really even considering the magnitude. But at, some, at, at the other point, it's like, well, it's not really a big deal probably. So I don't have to invest so much in it until... Until the shit hits the fan. Until, until the problems start happening, people die problems. and things like but, that. But I think now with now with, with the increase of all things AI, like something is going to happen yeah. much sooner than later. Yeah, right because now. something something that I think people are forgetting that if you have something that grows exponentially, like use of uh, say generative AI, even if the problems are 0.001 percent that curve will be also be exponential. So soon we'll have not one problem, 1,000 problems, 1 million problems. We already have thousands, but these are the ones that we know. I think easily we have more than 100,000 today, and we don't know about them. And the harm, of course, is different, uh, but it still is harm. 
sometimes psychological, sometimes physical, sometimes uh, it's business harm, sometimes it's public relations. I think I think responsibility should be used by the marketing team to say uh, we are different. It's like organic food or the just just price things like but, that this should be the next marketing but uh, but, hold, but but at, at that point we just start use we we start losing the real significance of responsible i mean that's kind of the purpose of what we're having the discussion is that we're hearing it so much and people are like, oh yeah it's responsible ai but well, what, what does it even mean right people yeah. are just using the words yeah but I, I i think if they really mean it and they do it uh, I'm, I'm okay even if they use it for marketing so right, like like the idea of organic food, right? Like yeah. even though it's used for marketing purposes, you know, was the phrase organic food ultimately better for society? Did it result in better outcomes? I know some people would say maybe not, but maybe on the whole, it's been a net benefit. So I don't know. I can see yeah. a lot of merit in what you're saying here, right? Yeah, it's, it's, I'm being practical. I, yeah, sometimes you have right. to be very pragmatical, but but in a capitalist world, I think that's the only way to work. Sadly, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 I love the marketing. Marketing is powerful. Honest, no BS right there. Exactly. Right. So marketing no teams, BS. marketing teams, get on the the, the the responsible AI messaging now. But we are working uh, at Northeastern University. We have this responsible AI practice, and we are working with top companies that really want to do this. We didn't convince them; they wanted to do it, and and we were the ones that really had the right message that they were looking for. Like, for example, what are the right principles? The principles we 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 have these nine principles, but depending on on, on your business. You don't need all of them, or, and or you may be additional ones because you have a specific focus, and then you want to say, I have this principle that's unique for me, and this is also another marketing strategy. This principle, I, I support it. Could be organic food, for example. That 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 is a principle in some sense. It's a, it's, so it's an instrument so the, the other solution we're going to talk about is regulations. Yes. So this is this is the next step. So if, if people don't do this, they, they, they don't adopt these uh, principles and governance, that is based on uh, AI ethics. So AI ethics exists, but ethical AI doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. There's a difference. A difference. So, so um, then you need regulation. And as Tim said at the beginning, regulation is very hard to enforce, but there are some simple regulations that you can, you can do that, that maybe will help. For example, uh, if you do any big infrastructure project, you need to do today an environmental impact assessment, right? This is like everywhere. And you need to present it in an office and someone will approve that. Why we don't ask a human rights uh, assessment for any uh, AI product? And maybe the, the, the office that will handle this has to have like a limit, time limit to, to, to give an answer. And this may be a lot of, a lot of work for, for philosophers and other people that don't have so many positions, but this is good for society. Um, you need to get approved. To do software. So software today is really one of the, it's like the wild west. It's so free, you can do whatever beep you want. <laughs> and, and, and no one stops you until there is a big problem. And, and you know, we, we always talk about the successes, but for every success in software, I'm sure we have at least 1,000 failures. So are, and in, we don't know about them. So Some in, of in, them are very scary. In, in a lot of, I mean, you, you talk about degrees in engineering, right? Or, or just you know, so many different, in accounting, right? Mm -hmm. in, in engineering, you're civil engineer, like you, you actually have to go get your certificate to, to, right? You have to go through to get your certification. Are you arguing, do you believe that mm -hmm. for computer science, engineering, software engineering, mm -hmm. we should be at that point too? Well, in many, in many professions like, like civil engineering, you need a certification. Yeah. 
uh, this could be a possibility that, that you are certified, but maybe even more light. For example, you're, you are certified that you know the, what is the code of ethics, that what are the principles that you need to uh, basically follow, although you don't follow them. At least you can say, okay, I, I, I have this knowledge and I intend to use it. The, the problem later is to enforce that. But I think that would be a minimal thing. It would be very simple. There are so many certifications of other things, of tools and things. Why not we put, okay, I, I'm certified. I took like a one-day one course in responsibility. I, I know what it means. Uh, and I cannot say I didn't know, at least that. Because if I say I didn't know, that's a, many times this is excuse. Ignorance is excuse. There can't be plausible deniability in all of this. Okay. Well, for example, one of the things that, that, that the people is regulating, it's proposing is that you cannot put in the conditions or, or terms of condition of software, you cannot put basically uh, a clause that says I'm, I'm not liable for anything that, that I may cause. That should be forbidden, right? You need to be responsible. You can escape. So it's your product. I mean, it's like this will like uh, if a car uh, has a part defect and someone dies. It's like saying, no, no, we are not liable for any mistake with the uh, mechanical part of the car, which is not allowed to. So we we have done the same in many other areas. Why not in software? This is this is a lot to unpack here with with, with, with our, no no this is great I mean we can just go off on this topic but just do query quickly before we head to our lightning round is people who are listening right there are folks in, in in the data space we have folks audience executives uh, we have uh, data consumers data analysts data engineers right data producers who are creating it software engineers like for those different personas like I, I'm sure they're hearing this and I'm like overwhelmed right now like what are the takeaways what are the things that they should they should and can start doing today to be to, to, to be responsible yeah for example uh, the first thing is is how much you are doing like uh, do you have an ethics committee uh, inside your company for example when you have an ethics committee inside your company you always have a conflict of interest because many times you have to decide between things that will basically reduce re revenue to be better <laughs> and then the decision may be biased uh, for that reason, last year we we uh, created the first worldwide AI ethics committee that receives requests from institutions with hard ethical issues, and we give a private advice of what is the best solution, what is the balance, because typically the issues are are problems between two two values. For example, you want to respect the autonomy of the person, dignity, but at the same time you want to basically not harm someone. And sometimes you need to choose what is the right balance between, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but not this, because then it, it, someone else will, will suffer. So we did that. So uh, ethics committee are very hard, even 2000, I think it was 2019, when, when Google did an ethics, AI ethics committee and was dissolved in one week because they chose the wrong people. So it, it, sometimes it's not easy to do, to do this. So this will be one thing. So you have the right places where you ask for permission for something. Could be, could be access to data. For example, you can have a data committee. You have, the, for example, uh, a responsible AI committee where you see, uh, you do an impact assessment of the benefits and risk of a model that you are building and you want to put in operation. So you need to have this this 
these conversations where not only computer scientists are involved, but also maybe uh, one person at the C level, maybe uh, uh, power users of, of your software. Because sometimes also very important the perception of people, not, not exactly the reality. For example, maybe your model doesn't discriminate anyone, but the user thinks you're discriminating him or her. And you need to discuss why that's happening. And sometimes it may be a very silly thing. Oh, change something in the user interface. The model was okay. Mm. <laughs> so I, I'm, th I'm thinking for organizations who are listening, they're, they're listening right now and they're like, nah, we do not have an ethics committee. And this oh, actually for example, sounds... do you have, do you have uh, uh, responsible principles? Probably not. So what, what are, can you point us to some guidelines for companies, organizations who are listening right now and saying, Oh, okay, I need to do this. Like, how do I set up an ethics committee? How do I define my responsible AI principles? Like, what, what's your suggestion to people to start with this now? Well, for example, you can look at the principles of the ACM, then you can look for uh, principles for responsible remix systems. You will find the page. Uh, we, in, at ai.northsystem.edu, we have a page on responsible AI practice where we have a, basically all these things I, I mentioned, like you have governance, you have uh, impact assessment, you have training. And then you can see, okay, maybe we can help you on, on finding where you are and what, what you need to do. For example, the first thing we do is like a playbook. Like, okay, this is the stage. This is what is missing. This is what you need to do. You can do it yourself. Or maybe if you don't know how to do it, we can help you. And, and now I think there are a few places in the world that can help you doing that. But we, I think we are one of the top ones in, in the world. And how would you set up an ethics committee? Within your like, how, how would you start this up internally? So, 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 first you need to to see if you will use it enough to have it, right? That's why we build our own external committee because maybe you have the you have a real issue twice a year, then why you have a committee for that? That's why it's better to have one on demand. So I would say use hours is much better. But if you want to set it up, you need to basically try to do it with external people. Because otherwise you have this conflict of interest that you will decide what is better for you, for the company, and not for the world. There's always this tension, and then, <laughs> and then, uh, could be very small, could be five people, but very qualified people. So you need to have an AI ethicist. The problem there are very few that 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 are good there. This is something that's starting, and it's starting so fast. Uh, I always say that ethics is always running behind technology, and when something wrong happens, it's like ethics tries to catch up and then technology keeps running because it stops a little, oh, one person dead. Okay, and I should do something and then it keeps going. And, and the same happened in, in history with, uh, for example, arms. The same, we have forbidden many types of arms when we found a, a problem, a really bad problem. But we shouldn't wait, for example, for the civil war to, to do something on AI-based arms. It's already happening with drones in Afghanistan, in Ukraine, uh, and, comp and, and countries, all countries, the top countries and also non-top countries are selling like very impressive drones that sometimes make, make mistakes and kill civilians. Okay. And that already happened. So it's not, it's not a science fiction. That already happened in Ukraine and Afghanistan. This, this, this has been a fascinating conversation. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you. Uh, and, 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 and what I'm really hoping is, and, I, and I'm seeing this, like, Tim and I, we go talk to so many people, and the honest no BS thing here is that this is not a topic that comes up. And now every single vendor, every single, we're all including generative AI features around these things. And and yeah, we see them as really small things and stuff, but 
this thing has started to grow so quickly you have no idea and i, I think at this and we can interpret it as oh we should be scared and then or we should like no we should grab go into it like head first and like okay yeah. this is something we need to really go address we should approach it with eyes wide open right and everyone has to take some level of responsibility including us as vendors as we're doing things like incorporating this technology to be able to advise people on what the trade-offs are and uh, and be responsible citizens around that. Yeah, so I think, yeah. yeah. yeah and, and, and in that sense, you as vendors, I mean, a responsible vendor should check the ethics of the person you are selling the product. Because you check, you should check how that, that will be used. And, and if you want to be responsible, that's part of your responsibility. I mean, will this person use my product to harm people? I shouldn't sell it, right? Uh, how many companies think about that? They just said that's, it. That's super, super interesting. That sort of and, ethics, and also, ethics lineage. Exactly. And this also goes for your providers. Are you, are you um, buying things from providers that are not ethical? You shouldn't do that because it's, it's like a, it's a process. And the process has a timeline and you said lineage. Lineage goes both before and after. So the lineage of ethics is very important today. And sadly, ethics is like uh, lacking in the whole world, not only in software, but also in politics. And uh, I prefer not to continue. Not to continue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, that's the next a, podcast. <laughs> that's a good segue to, to, to our uh, for our lightning round, which is presented by Data Art World. So I'm going to kick it off here first. So, will the burden of responsible AI, especially, fall on the big tech corporations, Microsoft, Google, Meta, OpenAI? A part of it, but I don't think I, I think um, it, it will be more on 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 companies that sell actual products. I would say Palantir or things like that could could be also uh, even more complicated. I mean, they already have things that are not ethical. So, so yes, yeah, so so I think it will be will be all of the above in some sense. Um, also, because the, today, like generative AI, for me, is like uh, if I can do a parallel to to to, to, to guns, it's like a cluster bomb. It's not something that you drop and, and one place gets affected. It's something like 5 billion people connected to internet will be affected. So this is even worse because everyone is a potential uh, place for harm. Hmm. You go, Great, Tim. Great commentary there. Uh, all right, second question. Um, will the benefits of this wave of AI, particularly around generative AI, Will, will the benefits outweigh the cons? That's a very good question. <laughs> I don't know, because, because basically um, there's the, the so many ways to use this technology. So this is the problem. How, if we knew all the ways that we can use the technology, then we can evaluate that, but we don't know. So, so maybe I, I want to be optimistic, I will say yes. I hope the benefits because we, are, uh, we will increase productivity, we will do a lot of things that are good, but who knows how people will use it. For example, there are already cases where people fine-tune a language model to talk to their uh, ex-fiancé dead or to his grandmother dead, and these things will really uh, affect the health, the mental health of people. So if people believe that they're talking to dead people, I don't know where we can go. And that's why I, I love, you can check in The Guardian in March, Yaron um, uh, Lanier, which is one of the fathers of virtual reality that works in Microsoft, said, I'm not afraid of that AI will destroy us. I'm afraid that AI will make us insane. 
I think, and this was one week before the, the suicide. So I think, wow, this is, was like, wow. like uh, I, I guess he never thought that in one week that will be proven. That is quite the statement. Yeah. All right, next question. If, if I'm, gonna, I'm a data engineer, I create transformations, help create a data warehouse, or I'm a data analyst, I create reporting dashboards. Do I need to be thinking about responsible AI? It, it depends on, on who will use that. So for example, if you're using generative uh, AI, for example, ChatGPT to increase the productivity of work, well, uh, if any, anything that is there that may be wrong, and that will have an impact on, for example, the business that is using those reports. Yes, imagine that ne next day it says, because of what says in the report that is false, I lost $10 million. Well, someone will be uh, accountable for that, and probably you will lose your job, right? So if you want to lose your job and, and, and gain time thinking that, that everything that, that the chatbot says is true, that you have a problem. And, and, and sadly, someone said, oh, this, this, let's call these hallucinations, but these are not hallucinations. Hallucinations usually don't harm you. There are, there are many that will harm you or will harm someone or the institution. So, so sometimes we, we are afraid to use the right words because of the BS, I guess. So what should the word be instead of hallucination? Uh, basically, a uh, fake statement. This is a fake statement. <laughs> I love that you're saying this because every time I hear the word hallucination, I'm like, I feel like a marketer came up with that term. Like they tested it on a focus. Well, obviously, no, no, they I, did. The term, it seems that the term came from OpenAI. Yeah, and I'm sure the marketing department, <laughs> which are full of marketers right now. Yeah. Yeah. For example, uh, I, I, the other day I asked to ChatGPT, what are your five problems? No, what are the main problems with ChatGPT? And, and ChatGPT said five problems. And they didn't use the word hallucination, so the, the, the chatbot didn't use that word. They, they used incoherence, which is true. But incoherence also doesn't damage too much. Uh, we need to put a word that, that implies that maybe it's, there's some damage in some cases. So right. Saying, it could be harmful. Oh, right. Fake, fake. Fake, 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 fake statement. Fake, fake statement. And you know, sometimes fake things really harm. So, so it's, not like a, it's not like a good word. It's not a completely bad word because not always will, will harm. But sometimes... For example, in the first version of the of the of ChatGPT, I died in 2021. Well, it doesn't harm me, but but maybe other people don't like that. Like, <laughs> that, was, that was great material for my talk on ChatGPT. <laughs> so thank you. Now I'm alive again in the chat. <laughs> You're chat GPT four. I'm alive again, but I'm seven years older, so I don't know what I prefer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, the final lightning round question here. Is explainable AI necessary to achieve responsible AI? So this is one of the principles of the ACM. So it's called interpretability and explainability. So, so yes, but not all the time. So, so explainability, you need to assess if you need it because of to be responsible. In some cases, if it's really hard to explain, it could be even be dangerous. For example, the typical case is that you have a health application, and if the explanation is wrong, maybe that may be worse than no explanation. For example, you have, the, uh, you have uh, say, certain symptoms and the system says, well, the explanation is that you have this because of this, but if you saw, those, you saw the famous uh, house series, uh, sometimes the symptoms could be like 10 different explanations, but of course you use the most popular one, the most typical one, but uh, it, the world doesn't work on a statistics. One problem what we haven't talked is that uh, basically uh, humans are not that don't come from a probability distribution. So, so the, the data about one 
doesn't have any relevance to my data. Different contexts, different countries, different lives. But a lot of people is using data from other people to predict <laughs> one per specific person. So, so yes, explainability is something important, but you need to make sure that, that it's safe too, because in some cases it may be not safe. All right, so uh, Tim, we have so many notes right now here. Mm -hmm. Go take us away, Tim. The takeaways. So, but one I thing, know. One thing oh, yeah, for you: the problems not don't come only from data. Remember that some people believe that all the problems are from data. No, some problems come from what you are optimizing. The people that did the software. So there's a recent paper that shows that the the, the bias of the coders goes to the code, and also there is a lot of problems in the feedback between the users and the system. And there are a lot of biases on, on how the system presents things uh, to the user that basically affect their behavior, like nudging and other things. And, and, and that also is a problem. So the problem of, of responsibility is not only data, that may be the main one, but there are all the other cases that are, come from the basically the machine learning model and also from the interaction of the system and the users. I think that 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 is very important what you just said, and and I think that I'm I'm glad that first of all I'm glad this podcast exists and that you were able to join us here because I think that folks could listen to this hour here and get you know a course worth of of, of understanding and education here. I think people often oversimplify the problem of responsible AI, right? And they're just like, oh, you got to pick good data, or oh, you just have to have a company with good culture or something like that. It's like, no, 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 you're, you're far oversimplifying this problem. This is a complicated problem. Doesn't mean we can't address it. We have to address it, but we have to think of it like a complex system, which it is, right? Well, exactly, it's a cultural system. So then you have to create a culture where everything works the way that you choose to be responsible. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is awesome. So. All right, takeaways, Tim's takeaways. So you, we started off with what is responsible AI? And you actually started off with saying, well, what isn't it, right? And one of the things that you said that it wasn't is that it's not ethical AI, which is a very humanizing term. Uh, we shouldn't humanize it, right? Uh, and it's not trusted AI because it doesn't make sense to say that like, oh, do I trust it or do I not trust it? Do I trust it all the time? It's not, it's not the most relevant thing here. What really is relevant is around accountability. Who is responsible? Who's the person? Who's the entity who's responsible? Because then we can create frameworks around governance, around principles, et cetera, to try to identify and manage that responsibility. So I thought that was very good there. And, and I, I loved your example that you gave that you said, there's no trustworthy aviation. If, if you have to say that it's trustworthy aviation, then we have a problem here. Um, and so I, I thought that was a, a great uh, sort of counterexample. Uh, and we, you discussed what is irresponsible AI. And you provided some really great examples of, of where um, you know, some common places where irresponsibility can happen. One of them is around discrimination. That's probably the most well-known around gender, race, xenophobia, whatever it might be. And you gave an example of in 2012 in the Netherlands about um, how there was uh, an analysis or a system to analyze uh, cheating in, uh, in sort of the system around daycare. Um, and people lost their houses. People were kicked out of the country over this. And ultimately, not only was it found illegal, uh, but uh, the person who um, uh, a person took responsibility stepped down, and then the entire government actually stepped down because of this. And so that's an example of both a problem as well as a, a kind of an accountability that can happen. Right? Nine, nine years later, sadly. Ah, nine years later, not fast enough, right? Exactly. Uh, and so that's an example of something where how do we how do we create a system that it, it can happen faster, right? 
Um, you talked about uh, the idea that, uh, you know, using things like facial recognition and things like that to profile or to do stereotyping and things like that, right? That's an example of uh, sort of spurious, uh, spurious correlations that, that we mm -hmm. want to avoid that's irresponsible. Uh, human incompetence, right? Human design problems, not just in the data, as you mentioned, right? Not just the data, but the model selection, the model design, uh, you know, the, the things that, that humans actually code into the software, the systems that this plugs into. There's a lot of decisions and choices that humans make that can cause a lot of irresponsibility. Impact on the environment, obviously that's huge. A ton of compute goes into these things, both in training as well as in inference. Generative AI, the ability to create all this content it's so easy to create fake content, fake content that looks just as real as everything else. So, you know, there's all these things now on Facebook and things like that where they say, which of these four images is, is the fake image, right? Mm -hmm. And the answer is trick question, all four are fake, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I know that that's a, that's a big thing. Uh, finally, before I pass it to you, Juan, uh, two great quotes you said, um, and, and I know that they're, they're from other folks as well, right? All models are wrong, but some are useful. Uh, and data is, data is a proxy of the problem. So that, that come on, one, over to you. That one's, mine. <laughs> that one's yours. Which one? The, Data is a proxy of the problem. problem. Right. So we talk about problems, we talk about solutions. And I think we, we start first with like the principles, right? And, and having operational principles. And look, we have them like for bio principles dealing, right? Talk about autonomy, bioethics, yes. bioethics right? So we talk about autonomy, justice, do good, not bad, where the benefit is higher than the harm. And then you really are pointing us to look at what the ACM has been doing for principles, right? Legitimacy, mm -hmm. but prove the benefit is higher than the harm. Make sure you have competence, right? Administrative competence, right? Can we actually do this? Uh, technical competence, you have the people around who can actually do this, and then competence in the domain. So it's not just about computer scientists and uh, right, the, the, the data or the, the technical folks there, but you have to have folks in the domains, the doctors, lawyers. Uh, there's so many different principles. There's like nine principles. The The second is around governance. And there's a big process and workflows around governance. Think about what are the processes that we need to go follow, monitor the models, look about model drift, data drift. The data is always changing around these things. Uh, what's the actions? What should be done if something is happening? We actually be documenting these things. Who are the people involved? They need to be trained to know how to put this in the code, where, in the UI, in the data. Um, and transparency alone is not enough that we need uh, accountability. And I love you, how you just being very bold and saying that marketing teams, they should get onto this responsible AI messaging. Yeah. Uh, another solution here is on regulations. And we just see this in so many different parts in the world, right? If you're doing, a, you're doing a big infrastructure project, you have to do an environmental impact study around this stuff. Like, why don't we do this also for, for AI and, and projects? Uh, why don't we have certifications? Other engineering areas do this. And so therefore you don't have the excuse to say, oh, I don't know. Um, you just can't blatantly say in your, in your T's and C's saying, oh, we take no responsibility for this. Imagine if your car manufacturer says, yeah, we don't take any responsibility for uh, 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 an issue with the car would happen. Like, no, that does not happen. And why would this happen in software and data yeah. and in AI? Um, so then to wrap up, like what can people do today? Data leaders, data scientists, data analysts, should all think about, do you have even have an ethics committee in your company, right? And, and actually, again, to be very practical, if it's not something you're going to use that often, maybe you should be able to go partner with an external team who can go do that. Um, and then actually think about, do you have responsible AI principles for your company? And looking at the ACM, ACM principles is probably the first step to go do that. Yeah. That's our takeaways. Anything we missed? No, I think it was a good summary. So um, throw it back to you to wrap us up. 
Three questions. What's your advice about data, life? Second, who should we invite next? And third, what resources do you follow? Let's start with the easiest one, the first, last one. So, so typically, I, I I follow trusted people in Twitter and LinkedIn, and then uh, it's amazing. I'm up to date in everything, so so I know things that that are important that I should read very fast. So, so you have a, I have a very trusted network of of information related to the topics that I'm interested. Now, the advice I, I would say that that try to do this as soon as possible. So I think uh, you are fooling yourself. You say, yeah, we'll wait until someone else does it. But if someone else does it, you will be second or third or fourth, and, and you will not be leader in, in, in your uh, field. Uh, we are working with companies that are leaders, and they know that the only way that they, they can be, can keep being leaders, is to basically also address this uh, soon. Fintechs, telcos, insurance companies, uh, and so on. So, so don't wait until it's too late, uh, also because there are not too many people available and those, those will be gone. So, so also it's a great time because the big companies are, are laying off people that know about these things, so capture some of them. We are, we are doing that. Uh, and, and basically you have a lot of uh, knowledge uh, right away because these people already have been working like three, four years on this. And who invite next? Uh, tough question. So let's say if you want to, I would recommend, uh, I will be biased recommendation. My, so I work with an ethics lead. So if you want to continue to this topic, I will uh, I will suggest my AI ethics lead, Jan Su Janja, for this, for this conversation. Perfect. And she's amazing. Well, Ricardo, Thank you so much for this amazing discussion. Just a quick reminder, next week, uh, I will be at the Knowledge Graph Conference in New York, and we are going to have our guest live over there is Katarina Kari from Ikea, talking about all things Knowledge Graphs next week. And with that, Ricardo, again, thank you. Thank you so much. This was a phenomenal conversation, uh, and you opened our eyes a lot to everything. Thank yes. you. Thank you, team. Cheers, Ricardo. Cheers, everybody. This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.